Hey, welcome to Let's Stop There. We have one hour to read How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And this will be the first time in our lives we've ever dedicated one hour to becoming better people. Stop there. My name's Austin Hanna. Hi, I'm Ganesh Sarma. Hey, I'm Shane Burklow. And this week we're reading a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Uh, a certified classic written in 1936. Certainly everything still applies today. We're going to find out. If you haven't listened to this podcast before, what we do is every week we read a book, one book in an hour. And this week we're going to learn to be better people. How you guys doing? What's, what's new with everybody? I finally moved, and now we're back on track, recording new episodes. How's your new spot? I like it. It's nice. Nice and big. According to you, echoey. But we'll see <laughs> if that if you can work your producer's magic on it. Well, that's just with my producer lens on. As, a, as someone that's in your apartment, I also think it's really nice. Yeah, you're right. When I was talking to the broker, I wasn't like, does it have an echo in the... In the third bedroom, it didn't have a a podcaster's clause. I did no, unfortunately, I I didn't. I should have. In retrospect, in my future business dealings, I'll make sure to let everybody know I'm a podcaster. Uh, yeah, no, it's I, I didn't think about it. So yeah, we'll see. I, I Ganesh has got me draping blankets all over my doors like a freak. Uh, but hopefully, it it's 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 a great apartment. It's my opinion. And I'd like to have you guys over as soon as this oh, yeah. this year pandemic's done. So you have blankets. And Ganesh, you've been soundproofing. Yeah. I'm slowly soundproofing because I'm trying to make this a torture spot, room. A spot. Yeah. When y'all come over to record in person, you know, the sound quality is going to be so good. And my voice is going to be so crisp and it's going to drive you insane. Damn. How does cab fare work out? Do you guys reimburse me? Uh, well, nobody told me that when I lived <laughs> when I lived far away. But when you looked far away, awesome, we weren't bringing in the big bucks. Uh, so <laughs> I'll send you a form, Shane, and you just need to fill it out, send it back. Billing will take care of it in four to six weeks. All right, approval, that's good to course. hear. Yeah, somebody they're gonna, they're gonna have to look into the back end of the contract. Well, hey, great. Let's let's see. I have a feeling we're gonna be doing remote recording even when things are better. Sometimes, right? Yeah. Yeah. But occasionally I'd like to come by and have you make me a nice dinner. I got a little taste of working on this thing from home and I'm never going back. Yeah. But what, yeah. Ganesh, don't you see how all the corporations of America are adapting to this new world? It's time to embrace the work from home model. On separate occasions, both of you have told me how much you miss getting together and the, right. the chemistry between us and yeah. eating dinner. But I need to, I, like, what's your safety precautions have you like yeah i have a large bottle of lysol yeah and when you come in we'll take care of you dude we'll take care of you real good do you got a cleaning crew coming in and disinfecting overnight like how's it mm -hmm. work yep we got something oh, like boy. that all right do you have a do you have a spit divider because i sit across from both of you so mm -hmm. i really want that spit divider yeah i let it rip Actually, I, I have inflatable <laughs> bubbles. So when you come in, you'll get a bubble. You can stay in your bubble. Damn. And uh, it's got a piss tube if you need to piss. Oh, no, well, I don't think that's going to be a problem. That sounds like more of a personal fetish. Made it myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for taking all the necessary precautions to get us pissing in front of each other. Great. I can't wait. That's what it's been about the whole time. <laughs> How do we eliminate bathroom breaks? This is a problem we never thought about before the pandemic. Okay. Well, great. I'm looking forward to it. What, what else? What else is new? It feels like it's been a while since we've, re we've recorded. 
Yeah. We had an email in reference to a episode we recorded a while ago. Which one? Which episode? Off the top of your head. Name it. Saving Babe Ruth. Hmm. Oh, yeah. That's right. I forgot about that one. I don't think that was us. (laughs) (laughs) That was a different podcast. We wouldn't read something like that. (laughs) Paul wrote in, and this is what he had to say. Mm -hmm. Hey, guys. I just wanted to let you know as a little tidbit that the phrase positive law is an actual phrase used in legal philosophy. It's a contrary position to legal systems like natural law or religious law. The positive in it doesn't <laughs> doesn't refer to the law being morally good, but as in but positive as in created and not negative as in found in nature or scripture. Legal positives claim that there are no legal rules outside of human creation, so they don't view moral positions or religious belief as being relevant to written law and its interpretation. Wow, that sounds like something we're equipped to talk about. (laughs) All of that sounded great, but I couldn't tell you what it was. No, yeah. It sounded like Anish was just reading a dictionary to us. Uh, yeah, no, thank you, Paul, for writing in your, that was a barrel of laughs. <laughs> Appreciate it. I do recall us clowning on positive law in saving Babe Ruth. And in my mind, it's still going to be that. I, I can't yeah. change it now. Yeah. But thank you, Paul. I appreciate the, yeah, I appreciate the full definition. Admirable effort to, you know, educate us, but we're beyond that in this stage of our lives. Oh, hold on now. Paul, if you're a lawyer, right back in. Do you might need one you, one are you, day. Are you in trouble? Is something wrong? What happened? It just feels good uh, to have a lawyer on speed dial, you know? Ganesh is getting uh, some patent claims over that piss tube. Yeah, Paul, if, if you know how to expense travel, uh, right back in and yeah. like dir- direct it only to me. Yeah, if you know how to, if you're sort of the kind of lawyer who helps with like collective organizing, you know, me and Shane are also looking for some muscle to take on a kind of a power hungry Machiavellian boss that we share mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. not related to this podcast, just another one. And also he forces us to pee in tubes. <sighs> All right. That's that. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> what, uh, that's it. What's why don't you read us a synopsis of this, uh-huh. this book, how to win friends All and right. influence people. This is a synopsis for how to win. What happened to, and without even trying, is that just a play? I thought that was all the same thing. What are you talking about? How to win? Isn't there something called how to win friends and influence people without even trying? What's that? That was the follow up. What about how to lose friends and alienate people starring Simon Pegg? Ooh, I like that. That's a thing. What about how to lose a guy in 10 days? Ooh. Can we do that next? Kate at Hudson, Matthew McConaughey. Classic. A classic Hudson McConaughey. Uh, do you know other actors in that? <laughs> That's all that comes to mind for me. The sh- the head cop on Reno 911 is in it. Oh, really? Thomas yeah. Lennon? Yeah. Okay. Very the cool. Guy, Third billing. The guy from Saving Private Ryan. And Tom Hanks? And the Hebrew Hammer is in it. Oh, that guy. Adam Goldberg, is that his name? Yeah. And also the woman who played... Agatha so-and-so on WandaVision is in it. Catherine Hahn? Yeah. You know a lot about the cast of How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. I watched it a week ago. <laughs> what? <laughs> All right. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's on TV. Do you watch it on TV with commercials? Yeah. You're out of your fucking mind, dude. You're and living a life on the edge. There's a whole scene where they play bullshit, but TV edits it where they say bull slip. <laughs> So they say that's bull slip. We got to start yeah. saying that. And it's funny because like the romantic final line is him saying bullshit to her on the Manhattan Bridge. <laughs> and he says and bull he, slip. He's like bull, bull slip. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I don't say bullshit really ever, but I'm going to start saying bull slip all the time. It's actually better. It is. That's more fun for me. You're full of slip. <laughs> all right i like that all right can you get to it chop chop all right this is how to win friends and influence uh, i 100 percent thought you were going to say how to lose a guy in 10 days my mind's all over the place sorry Forty-three thousand five hundred ratings on amazon four and a half stars 
pretty good odds. Very popular. The 19th most popular book on Amazon's charts. A hundred years after the fact. People just really want friends is what I've yeah. taken away. But also, and, and I'd like to influence people. Well, of course you would. You can go after the job you want and get it. You can take the job you have and improve it. You can take any situation and make it work for you. Dale Carnegie's rock-solid, time-tested advice has carried countless people up the ladder of success in their business and personal lives. One of the most groundbreaking and timeless bestsellers of all time will teach you six ways to make people like you. Hey. 12 ways to win people to your way of thinking and nine ways to change people without arousing resentment and much more. <laughs> That's what I need. Too many people resent me. This is going to come in handy because I've been I've been eyeing Austin's seat at the recording table. <laughs> Let's see if you can talk me out of it. I'm trying to work my way up to host so I can sit next to Ganesh. <laughs> right now I'm in second position and you're going to knock me down, Peg? Yeah. That's fine. I'm okay with it. I'm a pushover, so you'll find that it's much easier than you think. Uh, okay. Hey, this sounds like great advice for all of us. Do you want to jump mm -hmm. in? Should we read the first page of this freaking book? All right. Let's dive in. Oh, well, you don't sound too excited. Let's jump to the first page of how to win friends and influence people. fat cigar like boss tweed probably like dale carnegie probably Ooh. this guy yeah this guy had a huge cigar and a top hat clacking away at his keyboard i want to know what he looks like what do you think he looks like i don't know skinny. he probably existed before pictures skinny thin as a rail when do you think the camera was invented uh i don't know 1986 <laughs> i just googled dale carnegie man died in 1955 so what the hell does he know but looks wise, looks tall, strong jaw. You know, he's got glasses, so he's not perfect. But. Oh, I in my mind, I had that that picture in my mind. He looks, you know, he looks like somebody who could probably win friends and influence people. And what do I have my eyes to see? He's got a pipe in one of these photos. Now, this guy's pretty fucking cool looking. All right, I believe him. I found a picture of him reading a book with his face on the book. That's pretty cool. That's how you know you've succeeded in life. Mm -hmm. When your friends put you on a book, you got to use it to influence other people. That's right. Look at me. My face is on here. That's rule number one of how to win friends and influence people. Make a book with your face on it. <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden, people believe you. For 90 years, people will buy it. Yeah. Jeez. 2021. This guy's been dead uh, for a dog's age. I bet he wrote this and was like, you know, this is going to be on the top Amazon charts for a long time. <laughs> He's like, yeah, this really lends itself to uh, Kindles. <laughs> he was born in 1888, 100 years before us. Wow. 100 years hence. Man, what if we're reincarnated as uh, as us, but so we're him? So for 30 years, he was floating in the ether waiting for us to be born 100 years after his death. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hey, I don't make the rules. <laughs> that sounds right to me. All right. Let's jump in. You want to, Ganesh, you want to yeah. kick it off? First page right. of how to win friends uh -huh. and influence people. All right. This first one is called, uh, if you want to gather honey, don't kick over the beehive. All right. I okay. would have started out and hear me out. Guys. I would have started out free money. <laughs> first chapter would be free. That's how you get them. Uh-huh. Or... Um, good free dinner. Yeah. Free lunch would work. That would be good too. Yeah. Free blank is really how I'd start my first self-help book. Oh, unless it was free P-tubes. No. Or yeah. Dinner. Then we're, that's, we're under litigation for that. We're not allowed to mention the P-tube anymore. Yeah. You don't want to read that book. Uh-uh. It's more of a pamphlet. <laughs> All right. Let's hear it. Don't kick over, you know, kicking over the bees nest would be my first method of gathering honey, but I'll, I'll hear them out. On May 7th, 1931, the most sensational manhunt in New York City, New York City, had ever known <laughs> had come to its climax. After weeks of search, Two Gun Crowley, the killer, the gunman who didn't smoke or drink, was at bay, <laughs> trapped Ooh. in Ooh. his sweetheart's apartment on the West End Avenue. Am I, is this a temperate killer? 
<laughs> An iconoclast, to be sure. 150 policemen and detectives laid siege to his top floor hideaway. To think that the cops are so incompetent, you need 150 of them to capture one guy. Yeah, back then, they didn't even have, like, machine guns. This guy was just throwing rocks and shit. I, my understanding of history is not clear. They definitely had <laughs> they have Tommy guns. I think they had, like, batons. Yeah, they all went up there with nightsticks and flashlights. <laughs> Get them, boys. They chopped holes in the roof. They tried to smoke out Crowley, the cop killer with tear gas. Then they mounted their machine guns on surrounding buildings. All right. More than one hour of New York's. I was wrong. Fine residential areas reverberated with the crack of pistol fire and the rat tat tat of machine guns. What? Damn, they were just hauling off <laughs> machine gunning this apartment from other apartments. I guess you could say it, not much has changed. They mm. just shooting first. Ask <laughs> questions Jesus later. Christ. Or never. All right. All right. Well, did they get him? Crowley, crouching behind an overstuffed chair, fired incessantly at police. 10,000 excited people watched the battle. Nothing like it had ever been seen before on the sidewalks in New York City. The cops said, what are your last words, Crowley? And he said... If you want to collect honey, you don't kick over the beehive. When Crowley was captured, police commissioner E.P. Mulrooney declared that <laughs> they, the... I'm sorry, they captured him? <laughs> this didn't seem like a capture mission. P.P. Mulrooney? Yeah, P.P. Mulrooney. <laughs> declared that the two-gun desperado was one of the most dangerous criminals ever encountered in the history of New York. He will kill, said the commissioner, at the drop of a feather. Ooh. How did Two-Gun Crowley regard himself? Well, we know, because while the police were firing into his apartment, he wrote a letter. <laughs> That's how shitty the guns were back then. I was like, let me just take a break here. <laughs> Get out my quill. What were they hitting? They were hitting big bags of money with dollar signs written on the side. Right, yeah. Flying all over the place. He wrote a letter addressed to whom it may concern. And as he wrote, the blood flowing from his wounds left a crimson trail <laughs> on the paper. In his letter, Crowley said, Well, under my coat is a weary heart, but a kind one, one that would do nobody any harm. I believe him. A short time before this, Crowley had been having a necking party with his girlfriend on a country <laughs> road out to Long Island. Whoa. My, 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 you little horn dog. You ever been to one of those parties? A necking party? I can't say I have. I'm still waiting for my first kiss. You never slapped your neck against someone else's neck? Oh, is that what that is? Yeah, I do that all the time. I thought that was called goosin'. It's regional. <laughs> that was the most erotic thing you could do in the 1930s. That's right. Suddenly, a policeman walked up to the car and said, Let me see your license. Without saying a word... Crowley drew his gun and cut the policeman down with a shower of lead. <laughs> Can't you see I'm necking here? <laughs> Damn. This guy needs his privacy. Oh, yeah. Sounds like he wanted to be left alone. As the dying <laughs> officer fell, Crowley leapt out of the car, grabbed the officer's revolver, and fired another bullet into the prostate. Oh, sorry. Prostrate body. Oh, Dude, okay. Prostate. I was like, good God. I was like, what? Getting, getting clinical. <laughs> Is this his, his oh, calling? He shot that where? His calling card right up the right up the uh, stinker, as they say. <laughs> it looked like you were struggling to come up with a, a classy word, and then you said stinker. Oh yeah, it was gonna be much worse. I cleaned it up. In all honesty, though, that's that's a, what a badass move. He yanked that cop's gun off of him and popped him with it. That's some old time gangster shit. All just because he was necking and wanted to be left alone. Just necking with his dame. Didn't mm -hmm. want any wandering eyes. And that was the killer who said, Under my coat is a weary heart, but a kind one, one that would do nobody any harm. Well, Crowley was sentenced to the electric chair. When he arrived at the death house in Sing Sing, Ooh. did he say, My, this is what I get for killing people? No, he said, this is what I get for defending myself. The point of the story is Two-Gun Crowley didn't blame himself for anything. It sounds like someone I know. <laughs> <laughs> it could be either one of us. It sounds like two people I know. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, I, I'm relating to this guy. Honestly, if I'm necking in a car, better watch out. Was that advice? Is this story like part of the advice? Yeah. Yeah, it's be as confident as a murderer. That's the chapter number one. Summon the self-confidence of a man who kills with the drop of a hat. If I'm necking in a car, you better watch out. Was my, uh, that was my AIM away message of choice. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. It was either that or uh, Incubus lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> so what lesson am I supposed to learn from this, Ganesh? What, 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 what's, what's happening here? Is that an unusual attitude among criminals? If you think so, well, listen to this. Ooh, is it? If you don't think so, flip to page 71. Yeah, is this a choose your own adventure, perchance? I have spent the best years of my life giving people the lighter pleasures, helping them have a good time, and all I get is abuse, the existence of a hunted man. Well, that also that also sounds like somebody I know. You know who said that? Who? <laughs> <laughs> Al Capone. Hey. Was he still alive when this came out? I don't know. Who? Big Al. With syphilis. He invented the deep dish pizza. Mm-hmm. Al Capone's deep dish. Hosted Tool Time. That's, that sounds right to me. America's most notorious public enemy, the most sinister gang leader who ever shot up Chicago. Capone didn't condemn himself. He actually regarded himself as a public benefactor, an unappreciated and misunderstood public benefactor. And so did Dutch Schultz before he crumpled up under gangster bullets in Newark, Dutch Schultz, one of most New York's most notorious rats, said in a newspaper interview that he was a public benefactor, and he believed it. Do you think there's still like a New York rat list? And are we on it? No, we're definitely on it. The three-headed rat. See, they have our our uh, Polaroids of our faces on a board with red string attaching us together, trying to figure out who the ringleader is, who they got to take out first. Yeah. I'm tired of all these, these do-good rats, like Pizza Rat. Bagel rat. It's time to get That's back true. to the nasty rats. Bad rats, yeah. Yeah, rats need to reclaim their, their rightful throne. I've had some interesting correspondence with Lewis Laws, who was warden of New York's infamous Sing Sing prison for many years on this subject, and he declared that few of the criminals in Sing Sing regard themselves as bad men. They're just human as you and I. So they rationalize, they explain, they can tell you why they had to crack a safe or be quick on the trigger finger. Most of them attempt by a form of reasoning, fallacious or logical, to justify their antisocial acts, even to themselves, consequently stoutly maintaining that they should never have been imprisoned at all. All right, Dale, get to it. How do I make money off this? Yeah, how do I get that seat? And how do I get to say <laughs> what we're reading every week? Dale. <laughs> Dale sounds like he suggests a life of crime so far. No, he's saying don't, but I'm thinking nothing else has worked. Might as well shoot Austin in the stinker. That's right. <laughs> if you can get there. <laughs> I'll get you. You can find it. <laughs> yada 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 you will find examples of the futility of criticism bristling on a thousand pages of history oh i'll know where to look sorry still still thinking planning my moves <laughs> you think i'm gonna let you get an open shot of my stinker <laughs> not, not not at your life buddy i keep this thing tightly guarded you're not awake every second of the day <laughs> yeah but that's when i break out my chastity belt for your butt <laughs> Hey, everybody talks about the front part, but the back works too. <laughs> Some say even more secure. Yeah. That's right. Take, for example, the famous <laughs> quarrel. <laughs> the famous Sorry. quarrel between... I don't think this is what Dale had in mind. The famous quarrel between Theodore Roosevelt and President Taft. A quarrel that split the Republican Party, but uh, put Woodrow Wilson in the White House and wrote bold, luminous lines across the First World War and altered the flow of history. Let's review the facts quickly. When Teddy Roosevelt stepped out of the White House in 1908, he supported Taft. 
who was elected president. Then Roosevelt went off to Africa to shoot lions. When he returned, he exploded. He denounced Taft for his conservatism, tried to secure the nomination for a third term himself, formed the Bull Moose Party, and all but demolished the GOP. In the election that followed, William Taft and the Republican Party carried only two states, Vermont and Utah, the most disastrous defeat the party had ever known. Man, shit's really changed, huh? Could you imagine Vermont and Utah going along with something on their own? <laughs> These days? Yeah, no, they're not uh, two very different kinds of people. I'm not getting any advice here, so let's stop there. Wow. All right. Well, sure. there's maybe some lessons buried deep within the, the stories that we'll have to take for ourselves. Like, go to Africa and kill lions. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Or it's really cool to leave a bloody letter behind. Oh, yeah. Uh, for, for anyone, really. I mean, I was joking about the other stuff, but that is true. If you can write a bloody letter on your dying uh, day, I say do it. It's pretty cool. All right. Maybe there's going to be some lessons in the, ahead here in the next section. Let's, let's jump. All right. Let's check out another section of how to win friends and influence people. thing or two here ganesh will you give me and jane some advice on how to settle our differences uh-huh yep that this... maybe don't involve you know pulverizing my stinger <laughs> that's just business <laughs> hey it's not personal <laughs> right, this section is called do this and you'll be welcome anywhere all right okay. yeah mind your stinker is what it is that's good advice, honestly. Keep your stinker wrapped up tight. Why read this book to find out how to win friends? Why not study the technique of the greatest winner of friends the world has ever known? Who is he? You may meet him tomorrow coming down the street. When you get within Ooh. 10 feet of him, he will begin to wag his tail. Oh, oh my God. Ah, he's not minding his stinker. Uh, he's putting it out for the world to see. Perhaps we were wrong about this advice. If you stop and pat him, he will almost jump out of his skin to show mu how much he likes you. And you know that behind this show of affection on his part, there are no ulterior motives. He doesn't want to sell you any real estate and he doesn't want to marry you. Is this Buster Keaton? <laughs> Sounds like him. He's a riot. Did you ever stop to think that a dog is the only <laughs> animal that doesn't have to work for a living? No animals have to work for a living. A oh, yeah. has to lay eggs. A horse. Oh, the horses do. You're right. But if they break free. That's just beautiful. Ain't nothing better <laughs> than a free stallion. A cow has to give milk and a canary has to sing. But a dog makes his living by giving you nothing but love. He made his point by listing three animals. What do monkeys have to do? Nothing. He said a dog is the only animal that doesn't have to work. And then he just listed three animals. Yeah, list all the animals. Dale. Come on, Dale. Yeah. How about the sperm whale, Dale? <laughs> that gotta be shit. Do you even know about that then? Well, yeah. No. Moby Dick, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. I forgot. When I was five years old, my father bought me a little yellow-haired pup for 50 cents. Oh, wow. Are you kidding? Oh, my God. They're just giving them away. Yeah, that, at that point, I mean, I guess what's inflation? That's probably like $60,000 or something, right? <laughs> As a good dog. He was the light and joy of my childhood. And every afternoon about 4.30, he would sit in the front yard with his beautiful eyes staring steadfastly at the path. And as soon as he heard my voice or saw me swinging my dinner pail through the buck brush. Excuse me? Is that a euphemism? He was off like a shot, racing breathlessly up the hill to greet me with leaps of joy and barks of sheer ecstasy. He's inferring a lot from this dog. I'll say that. Yeah, I bet this dog was just hungry. Tippy was my constant companion for five years. That's it? What'd you do to him? Then. Hey, times are tough then. <laughs> we, we got hungry. Then, <laughs> one tragic night, 
I shall never forget it. Pa fell on hard times. <laughs> Tippy started looking mighty tasty. He was killed within 10 feet of my head. Killed <laughs> by lightning. What? Uh, what? Likely fucking story, dude. You killed this dog. Yeah, lightning. More like lunch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> who was I to let this perfectly charred meat go to waste? Tippy's death was the tragedy of my boyhood. You never read a book on psychology, Tippy. You didn't need to. You knew by some... <laughs> you don't know what was going on in Tippy's brain. He probably had self-doubt. <laughs> you knew by some divine instinct that you can make more friends in two months by becoming genuinely interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. Good advice. Good advice. You've been trying for three years to get other people interested in us. It hasn't been working. Damn. We gotta be interested in other people. Yeah. One of us needs to get struck by lightning. <laughs> I'll do it. Yeah, I know and you know people who blunder through life trying to wigwag other people into becoming interested in them. Of course, it doesn't work. People are not interested in you. <laughs> That's a yeah. damn Dale. All right. don't, don't have to tell me that. Well aware. Kind of rude, but... I accept it. They are interested in themselves morning, noon, and after dinner. Ooh, but nighttime. <laughs> Who knows? That's stinker time. Yeah. Hey, ain't nothing wrong with that. That's when the belt comes off. See, I'm, I'm writing this down. <laughs> you making your own book? Huh? <laughs> Shane's taking what he needs out of this. No, I'm writing, uh, I'm plotting. It's way different. Shane's, you wouldn't call it writing per se. It's more of a manifesto. The New York Telephone (laughs) Company made a detailed study of telephone conversations to find out which word is most frequently used. Damn, (laughs) they could just do that? (laughs) He said that so casually. The telephone company listened to all your conversations and wrote down every word you said just for fun. Although what were phone, phone calls back then were just like, my dad's in the well. Well, you could probably just put your ear up to the telephone line and, you know. That's true. Pick up all sorts of stuff. Yeah. It's tin cans and string back then. Well, you guessed it. It is the personal pronoun I. I. It was used 3,900 times in 500 telephone conversations. When you see a group photograph that you're in, whose picture do you look for first? Me, of course. Austin, of course. (laughs) Yeah, everybody's looking for me. I'm the star. If we merely try to impress people and get people interested in us, all right, we will never have many true, sincere friends. Friends, real friends are not made that way. Napoleon tried it. Napoleon (laughs) tried it. Famously. Damn. Ever heard of him? Damn. Bonaparte. You know, this guy would really hate Instagram. Yeah, he kind of misjudged a lot of the future. I mean, he's right. It's unhealthy, but hey, people leaned into it hard. I was going to say, 3,900 times in 500 calls doesn't even seem like that many times. I say I that many times in one call. In Napoleon's <laughs> last meeting with Josephine, he said, Josephine, I've been as fortunate as any man ever was on this earth. And yet at this hour, you're the only person in the world on whom I can rely on. And historians doubt whether he could rely even on her. Do you think Alpha 5 from Power Rangers was a nod to David or whatever, Carnegie? I, I, I. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Man, I don't even know what to do. Uh, that's, uh, I feel like I just got hit in the face after that sentence. I think Saban enter- <laughs> Entertainment was <laughs> reaching for... <laughs> yeah, they were, they were trying to think, who should Zordon's little robot sidekick be? And they were like... Considered Dale Carnegie. They even got his little, uh, his New York accent in there. That's where he's <laughs> from, right? Nah, he's from Missouri. Who cares? Alfred Adler, the famous Viennese psychologist, wrote a book entitled What Life Should Mean to You. In that book, he says, it is the individual who is not interested in his fellow men, who has the greatest difficulties in life and provides the greatest injuries to others. It is from among such individuals that all human failures spring. I once took a course in short story writing at New York University. I guess Dale's ignoring his own advice, huh? Disgusting, Dale. 
you self-centered pig. And during that course, the editor of a leading magazine talked to our class. He said he could pick up any one of the dozens of stories that drifted across his desk every day. And after reading a few paragraphs, he could feel whether or not the author liked people. If the author doesn't like people, he said, people won't like his or her stories. All right. Um, <laughs> he seems like um, it seems like you're disagreeing with this personally. No, I'm not. I'm just he's you know I get it. All right, he's giving yeah, all right. these examples, but I'm just saying I get it. Let's stop there. All right, Jesus Christ. Fine, fine. Let's stop there. Maybe there'll be something that you can appreciate in the next section. Then we uh, jump ahead <laughs> to more of how to win friends and influence people. learned nothing so far and Ganesh is getting increasingly angrier so I'm not sure this is going the right direction. The last section had a pretty clear message is uh, act like a dog. That's true. What I learned. That's I'm sorry. A, a dog? Act like a dog. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I believe is what Ganesh said. Well you don't have to tell me twice. Oh, yeah. Come on boys. Yeah. Howl at the moon like the dirty doggies we are. Oh Alrighty. man. Ain't that the truth? Mm -hmm. uh, would you rather be? Oh, you know, I said we are rats. Yeah. Maybe we're just like small little bad dogs. Yeah, we're bad feral dogs, like a pack of dogs. Yeah, that's what we are. So far, maybe by the end of this book, we'll be well-behaved little gentlemen. But right now, we'll be those dogs at the poker table in no time. Oh yeah, light me up a cigar. Those dogs have friends. I tell you that much. Yep. Friends in high places. They're high rollers. I think we should all aspire to be those poker playing dogs. But we'll see what Dale thinks. Ganesh, you bought a big dog's shirt recently, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I did. It says, uh, shit, what does it say? You can't even remember. You just bought it for the dog. It says, if you can't handle the big dog, stay off the net. <laughs> <laughs> That's good advice. Is that the name of the next chapter? Uh-huh. Dale is a forward thinker. Yeah, net just meant net. Yeah, like a fishing net. Yep. The section is called, You Can't Win an Argument. I bet I can. No, here we go. Shortly <laughs> after the close of World War One, I, I learned an invaluable lesson one night in London. I, this guy keeps saying World War One. Isn't World War Two like ongoing as this man's writing this no, book? No, you fool. This is the 30s. Yeah. So this is before World War One. When no, what? No. Well, I mean, it's before World War Two. Sorry, not yeah. World War One. This is before. Think... This is before World War Two, is what I'm saying. So yeah. why is he calling it World War One? Was this rewritten later? He should be calling this the Great War. No. Oh uh, well. True. <laughs> Maybe he knew something. Maybe he saw. What do you know, Dale? <laughs> the rise of nationalism in Germany. <laughs> I learned an invaluable lesson one night in London. I was the manager at the time for Sir Ross Smith. Ooh. Who? During the war. You know, Ross. He's a paleontologist. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> You're mixing up your Rosses here. This was Fraser's producer. No, <laughs> Ross from uh, Hung. He did things with Jay Leno. Oh, uh, that, okay, that Ross. Yeah. <laughs> I know him from Bravo. During the war, Sir Ross had been the Australian ace out in Palestine. And shortly after peace was declared, he astonished the world by flying halfway around it in 30 days. I bet I could do it way faster than that. I'd get in a plane right now and be across the world in no time flat. Ross, you dipshit. <laughs> no such feat had ever been attempted before. It was, I could do it, it right created... now and I could I could watch uh I could watch uh you know Captain Marvel on the way and take a nap. Can you do that, Ross? I don't know which airline is still screening that. Just gotta <laughs> I bring my own DVDs. <laughs> Hello, Captain. You asked the captain to put pop this in the DVD player for everybody. Yeah. Oh, Captain. I rap at the door. Hello. 
I paid good money to watch this movie on my flight. Then the air marshal wrestles me to the ground. Did I tell you, did I tell this story on the show when I was flying and I put on Midnight Cowboy and I didn't realize until (laughs) after that was rated X, but it was so graphic and half like there are moments where I was like, there are like children behind me. And I was like, I can't. (laughs) was that a movie available from the flight? Yes, it was. <laughs> that, I was like, that's weird. <laughs> I remember An thinking, uncensored version. Yeah. And I was like, they wouldn't put this on if it was this bad. And it like, there were a couple of scenes in that where it's like, oh shit. And yeah, I was like, well, I can't turn it off. Cause then it'll look like I acknowledge chicken inap- out. The I apologize to the rest of the flight. <laughs> no, you had to stick by, stick to your guns and make it seem like you were a cinephile who knew what he was getting uh-huh. into. <laughs> yeah. See, should have gone with should have gone with Captain Marvel. Really into early Hoffman. <laughs> <laughs> Shane was just sitting there like beat red the whole time. Just, oh yeah, that is a shocking thing. To, that is like one of the few movies that it's like rated X famously. That's a shocking yeah. movie to have available on a flight. It's a great movie, gotta say. I do like it. I'll check it out on my next uh, cross country trip. <laughs> I think it was Alaskan Airlines. So uh... no, they, that's why they they can't do too many. <laughs> The licensing deals with Alaskan Airlines are not too hot. But I think they're owned by um, JetBlue. So JetBlue, any JetBlue flight, Midnight Cowboy. Pop-up Midnight Cowboy. Just for a relaxing ride. It created a tremendous sensation. The Australian government awarded him $50,000. The King of England knighted him. And for a while, he was the most talked about man under the Union Jack. Hey now. Cool. That was before Crocodile Dundee. You're right. I was. <laughs> You're right about that. I was attending a banquet one night given in Sir Ross's honor. And during the dinner, the man sitting next to me told a humorous story, which hinged on the quotation. There's a divinity that shapes our ends. Rough hew them how we will. Say again. The, the raconteur <laughs> mentioned that the quotation was from the Bible. Well, he was wrong. I knew it positively. There couldn't be the slightest doubt about it. And so, to get a feeling of importance and display my superiority, I appointed myself as an unsolicited and unwelcome committee of one to correct him. He stuck to his guns. What? From Shakespeare? Impossible. Absurd. That quotation was from (laughs) the Bible and he knew it. Damn, this is before the Wikipedia days. Yeah, you could have could have knocked this out in two seconds flat with a Google search. But instead, back then when you argued, you just had to be like, well, I'll find this out in two months. <laughs> <laughs> and I will let you know by letter. Gotta read through both these books. <laughs> I will send you a telegram six months from now letting you know that I was wrong. The storyteller was sitting on my right and Frank Gammond. An old friend of mine was on my left. Mr. Gammond had devoted years to the study of Shakespeare. So the storyteller and I agreed to submit the question to Mr. Gammond. Mr. Gammond listened, kicked me under the table, and then said, Dale, you are wrong. The gentleman is right. It is from the Bible. Damn, you're going to hell now, Dale. Isn't it crazy that people then just were experts on like one specific thing i feel like everyone now is like knows a little about a lot or nothing about anything that's true us which would like what's worse though because if you're like ask mr gammon about anything else is he useful then i don't know all he knows is how to fly a plane uh he knows about the bible he knows how to tell a whopper of a story on the tonight show with jay leno uh and those are his three things On our way home that night, I said to Mr. Gammond, Frank, you knew that quotation was from Shakespeare? Yes, of course, he replied. Hamlet, Act 5, Scene 2. But we were guests at a festive occasion, my dear Dale. Why prove to a man he is wrong? You know, this dude's a liar. Is that going to make him like you? Why not let him save his face? Made Dale look like a fucking fool when he knew it was right. He didn't ask for your opinion. He didn't want it. Why argue with him? Always avoid the acute angle. All right. I think, you know, I sold Frank Short for only being an expert in Shakespeare, but it looks like he has valuable insight on politeness and social uh, situations. That's true. He should have written this book. 
There you go. If you're at a dinner party and your friend's making an ass out of themselves saying that. uh, Don't even bother trying to summon an example comparable to what we just heard. (laughs) Well, we also haven't had a dinner party in a year. Yeah, this is that's actually the real advice here. Avoid dinner parties and social situations altogether. The man who said that taught me a lesson I'll never forget. I not only had made the storyteller uncomfortable, but it put my friend in an embarrassing situation. How much better would it have been if I had not become argumentative? This seems like the same piece of advice as last time. Just act like a dog. Don't argue. Act <laughs> you should like write, your own, that's write, f- write your own version of this book. It's 10 pages. It's just act like a dog. Like an each Sarma. <laughs> and then done. You'll be number 20 on the Amazon bestsellers list in no time. Oh, don't sell them short. Top 15. Hey, all right. You never know. You never know. Yeah, you know, I will agree with you. All the advice just kind of seems to boil down to just be nice. It's good advice, Austin. Yeah. Right back at you. You're the one coming for my stinker. Hey. (laughs) I think your stinker's out of control. (laughs) You know, I've been telling my doctor that. (laughs) They don't believe me. Might be the chastity belt. <laughs> I do have to, I, I make him look through it, uh, you know, via x-ray. Nine times out of ten, an <laughs> argument ends with each of the contestants more firmly convinced than ever that they are absolutely right. You can't win an argument. You can't because if you lose it, you lose it. And if you win it, you lose it. Why? Well, suppose you triumph over the other man and shoot his argument full of holes and prove that he is non mentis. Then what? You'll feel fine. But what about him? You'll have made him feel inferior. You will hurt his pride. He will resent you. I don't know. It doesn't sound like Ganesha's buying this. And a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Well, if it rhymes, it must be true. If the glove does not fit, you must acquit. Let's stop there. Aye, caramba. Alrighty. Well, that was uh, good advice for all of us, I think. It's probably a bad sign that we all seem to be reacting negatively to all this advice. Hey, I like it. Maybe says something about us. Yeah. No, Shane's good. Shane's a good boy. The rest of us are a couple of mangy dogs. I'm going to, next time you guys start arguing with me about stuff, I'm going to remind you of this. I'll say, think of Dale Carnegie. Just spray us with the hose. <laughs> That's chapter two in... Act like a dog. Beg for hose. Beg. <laughs> okay, get, get hose daddy out of here if you please. Yeah. Our resident peacekeeper. Yeah, that's true. If it weren't for hose daddy, this podcast would have been ended a long time ago. He keeps the peace. That's for sure. All right. Well, don't forget more. Shovel Son. Shovel Son. Does he have a sound? I don't remember. No. Still? He's not a showman like hose daddy. Yeah, that's true. Well, Shows daddy's all bark and no bite. Shovel son puts in the work. I guess when I when I become host, I'm gonna make Shovel Sun have a a sound. Are you running? Or is this an election? Is this your campaign promise that you will make a sound for Shovel Sun? I think it is. So if you know, Shane Nation can write in if they <laughs> Oh man. Ganesh Ganesh has been trying to placate Shane Nation for months, claiming to be a member of it, much mm-hmm. like uh you you kind of in honor of the times, you're, you've been appeasing Shane, kind of like a, a Neville Chamberlain almost. And now the time has come for him to steamroll you with his uh, his army. If that happens, you can blame Dale Carnegie. I've been taking all my fucking <laughs> advice from this guy. Turns out he died 70 years ago. And if I had known that, I wouldn't have read this book in the first place. Yeah, what the hell do you know, man? If you're so good, why'd you die? All right, let's jump ahead now. We'll be right back with uh, more How to Win Friends and Influence People. get back into it huh how to win friends and influence people i think we've gotten some of the friends parts but where's the influence come how do i influence people i think it's if you take good photos next to bright colored things oh you're taking influencer style yes okay i think you influence people by carrying a gun (laughs) you combine those and you'll be unstoppable If I were to make this book for the 21st century, 
how to win friends. That's the act like a dog part. Mm-hmm. And then the influence people, that's think like a cat. So, Whoa. I mean, that's the book. Oh, act like a dog, think like a cat. You're uh-huh. about to mine gold, my friend. That's a potential bestseller right there. Patent pending. I don't think you can patent a book title, but hey. <laughs> the concept. I'm patenting the concept. You've already right? run into trouble with the piss tube. I think you should leave the patents alone. Let's get Paul the lawyer on this. Yeah, Paul. Where's Paul? Paul, right in. What do you know about piss law? <laughs> where's, where's Paul? Get him in here, Paul. All right. This section is called Talk About Your Own Mistakes First. Well, my mistake was inventing a tube that you pee into. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Turns out it's been done. There's already a patent for it. All right. So don't try to patent it. Is this in the book? Are we? Are you reading this? It's just talking about is, your own mistakes first. I'm just getting oh, that out there. This okay. is actually chapter three of Act Like a Dog, Think Like a Cat. I'll talk about my mistakes openly. When my agent gave me my Let's Stop There contract, I didn't look it over and I'm still stuck in the same fucking position <laughs> as I was in the Amazon book club. That's true. Shane sits in a rickety chair with one bad leg. He's constantly on the verge of falling over. And it's right next to the litter box, too. It really is. I miss that. I miss your little critters uh, doing their business and making eye contact with me while I listen to you read books at me. I think it's the chemistry going on this podcast, like a cat taking a big dump right next to you. (laughs) (laughs) And then they like scrape at it and then jart, jot out of there, dart out of there. Jart. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my. Yeah, I do miss that. My niece, Josephine Carnegie. (laughs) had come to New York City to be my secretary, if you could believe it. Wow. She was 19, had graduated from high school three years previously, and her business experience was a trifle more than zero. <laughs> wow. Sounds uh, like a classic uh, nepotism to me. She became one of the most proficient secretaries west of Suez. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> But in the beginning, I'm no no geography buff, but Mm. (laughs) I don't know if I'm familiar with Suez. The the famous blocked canal, much like those pee tubes. Oh, Suez? Is that what you... Yeah, (laughs) Suez. Suez. That's how they said it back then. They didn't know any better. But in the beginning, she was, well, susceptible to improvement. One day... When I started to criticize her, I said to myself, Oh, now hold on a minute, Dale Carnegie, just a minute. You are twice (laughs) as old as Josephine. You have had 10,000 times as much business experience. How can you possibly expect her to have your point of view? He's only 38. Your initiative, mediocre though they may be. And just a minute, Dale, what were you doing at 19? Remember the asinine mistakes and blunders you made? Remember the time you did this and that? I was still killing dogs back then. After thinking the matter over, honestly and impartially, I concluded that Josephine's batting average at 19 was better than mine had been. What do you think is 302? That'd be terrific. She's probably batting 240. That's good. At 19? Sure. Not bad. And that, I'm sorry to confess, isn't paying Josephine much of a compliment. So after saying that, when I wanted to call Josephine's attention to a mistake, I used to begin by saying, Hey, look at this mistake. You've made a mistake, Josephine, but the Lord knows it's no worse than many I have made. You are not born with judgment. That comes only with experience, and you are better than I was at your age. I have been guilty of so many stupid, silly things myself. I have very little inclination to criticize you or anyone. But don't you think it would have been wiser if you had done so-and-so? I'm an idiot, Josephine. I'm the dumbest man alive. You shouldn't even be listening to me or working for me. I'm incompetent. I'm a piece of shit. And one day I'm going to write a book about it. And people a hundred years later are going to be talking about it, sitting in their apartments. <laughs> in a hundred years, people will be talking about what a, what a bad secretary you were. In a hundred years, that's all they'll be talking about. <laughs> Well, thank you, Uncle. Well, it isn't nearly so difficult to listen to a recital of your faults if the person criticizing begins by humbly admitting that they, too, are far from impeccable. Damn, big yawn from Austin. Sorry. Yeah, this one's put me to sleep. I can't even imagine a situation where I admit all my faults. (laughs) Unprompted? Yeah, somebody needs to be like, what's wrong with you before I start listing my, my faults? E.G. Dillastone, an engineer in Brandon, Manitoba, Canada, was having 
Problems with his new secretary, letters he dictated were coming to his desk for signature with two or three spelling mistakes per page. Unacceptable. Mr. Dillastone reported how he handled this. Well, like many engineers, I had not been noted for my excellent English or spelling. For years, I've kept a little black thumb index book for words I had trouble spelling. When it became apparent that merely pointing out the errors was not going to cause my secretary to do more proofreading or dictionary work, I resolved to take another approach. When the next letter came to my attention that it had errors I'm in it... I'm sorry to jump in here, but is there a yada 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 anywhere <laughs> coming up? You got any yada yada yadas in your bag of tricks over there? Do the big dogs break those out? <laughs> Yada, yada, yada. That's a think like a cat move right there. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> a story about the Kaiser. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> oh. Uh, skip that. Uh, more Kaiser stuff. Now he's got a donkey in the mix. Yada, yada, whoa, yada. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you have uh, piqued my interest with the donkey. <laughs> this is not the, the Shrek fan fiction that we read. <laughs> Damn uh, it. The last Patreon episode. But yeah. Oh, I don't know if I... <laughs> Go subscribe to Patreon if you want to hear some nasty, nasty Shrek business. That's a whole other story. Well, what's the lesson? Let's hear. The, let's the lesson, stop okay, there. The lesson is this. Talk about your own mistakes before criticizing the other person. Oh, okay. Right? I got it. You remember that. Next time you got something to say to me, Austin. I got nothing to say to you, boss man. <laughs> other, other than sign my timesheet. All right, good. I'll keep that in mind next time I'm arguing with a stranger. You just got to be like, uh, one time during the quarantine, I shit my pants. Oh, here we go. Yeah. And that's how you open the conversation. I, it wasn't a shit. It was a shart. There's a difference. That's why there's two different words. Now, on that note, let's jump ahead <laughs> to the last page. Is, is shart and Webster's? They get They get to that one yet? Is that what you call if that's what you call your underwear, then yeah. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I don't this episode's gone off the rails a little bit. Let's just... <laughs> Honestly, that's a good question. Is short is there an official definition of short? Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there is. On Merriam I don't know. Google's dictionary. How do let me see. We're gonna get to the bomb of this right now. <laughs> it's not an official word. Did you mean Sharn? <laughs> that is that is what I meant. That's how people say my name. Sharn <laughs> <John> Barnkler. <laughs> <laughs> Did you mean shard? <laughs> no. No, no, no. It's way not not as uh it's quite a few shards. Shard invokes a a firmness that wasn't there. Okay, let's <laughs> Let's get out of this quick. Let's jump to the last page of how to win friends and influence people. Here we are at the very end, the last page. This is... Uh, just a few short minutes until we're better people. Last page of how to win friends and influence people. Ganesh, what's the latest? Huh? This is basically just a list of things to do. Hey, that's what I was looking for the whole fucking time. That's what I'm here for. The effective leader should keep the following guidelines in mind when it is necessary to change attitudes on behavior. Okay. I'm in. Number one, be sincere. All right. Mm. Yeah. Don't promise anything that you cannot deliver. Forget about the benefits to yourself and concentrate on the benefits to the other person. Very good. Yeah. Sounds Number good. Number two, know exactly what it is you want the other person to do. Ooh. Okay. Like, uh, open up that chest. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you can't. It's going to take more than words, my friend, to get this belt off me. I'll find the keys. <laughs> I swallowed them. <laughs> That's going to put you in a pickle. <laughs> no jokes on you. I unlock it from the inside out. Well, I won't question. I won't question your finesse. 
it's taken many years to perfect it. <laughs> you have an um an adept stinker. It's true, yeah. Yep. You have an opposable thumb. Yeah, it's an opposable stinker. <laughs> it's like unwrapping a starburst with your tongue yeah. and tying it in a knot. Just Who like doesn't that. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't do that? Number three, be empathetic. Ask yourself what it is the person really wants. Number four, consider the benefits that person will receive from doing what you suggest. Number five, match those benefits to the other person's wants. Number six, when you make your request. <laughs> Here we go. Put it in a form. <laughs> I'm gonna need you to fill out some forms for me, Sam. Hey, ain't that life? That will convey to the other person the idea that he will personally benefit. Yeah, <laughs> I'll do that, and I'll I'll put my social security number on there too. <laughs> we could give a curt order like this, John. We have customers coming in tomorrow, and I need the stock room cleaned out so sweep it up put the stock in neat piles on the shelves and polish the counter or i'm gonna blast you in the stinker <laughs> or we could express the same idea by showing john the benefits he will get from doing the task john we have a job that should be completed right away if it's done now we won't be faced with it later i'm bringing in some customers tomorrow to show our facilities <laughs> he's just saying that voice john yeah. you gotta do it <laughs> i think you're you're actually making it way worse yeah i would like to show them the stock room but it's in poor shape if you could sweep it out put the stock in neat piles on the shelves and polish the counter it would make us look real efficient and you will have done your part to provide a good company image. Okay. This is the same right. like talking down I get every week in my third chair, as they call it. Seems like maybe Ganesh has read this book before. <laughs> if you sit in that chair, the cats are going to be happy. <laughs> And we're going to make a really good episode. If you could just hold their tail up while they use the bathroom, that would be great. Yeah, he does talk like that to us all the time. It's effective. Yeah. Look at our body of work. You can't argue with it. Will John be happy about doing what you suggest? Probably not very happy, but happier than if you had not pointed out the benefits. Assuming you know that John has pride in the way his stockroom looks, because who doesn't have pride in their stockroom, and is interested in contributing to the company image, who will more likely to be cooperative. It also will have been pointed out to John that the job would have to be done eventually and by doing it now, he won't have to do it later. It is naive to believe you will always get a favorable reaction from other people when you use these approaches, but the experience of most people shows that you are more likely to change attitudes this way than by not using these principles. And if you increase your successes by even a mere 10%, you will have become 10% more effective as a leader than you were before. So this is principle nine. Make the other person happy about doing the things you suggest. The principles were begin with praise. Okay. That would be like, good boy, good boy. <laughs> Call attention to people's mistakes indirectly. Yeah. So, like, don't uh, put your dog's face in piss when it pees on the rug. Yeah. Talk about your own mistakes before criticizing the other person. Uh, I've also shit on the floor. <laughs> that's, you know, that's how you open. Uh, <laughs> very good. Ask questions <laughs> instead of giving direct orders. Would you like to sit down? Let the other person save face. Praise the slightest improvement and praise every improvement. That's why you got your dog treats handy, all right? Mm -hmm. Very good. Give wow. the other person a fine reputation to live up to. Use encouragement. Make the fault seem easy to correct. Yeah, show the picture of the good dog that got hit by lightning. <laughs> you, well, you'll never be as good as this dog. This dog was lunch. <laughs> then you got the, the poker picture. That's like what you want the dog to aspire to be. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. God. Poker, not lunch. And then make the other person happy about doing the thing you suggest. 
All right. There it is. Is that it? Very good. Those are the tips. So just act like a dog and you'll be all right. Act like a dog and think like a cat. That's that's what I want to hear. I want to read that book next. So write it. Write it by next week. <laughs> and we'll get it on the show. Okay. I feel like I learned some, some stuff. Basically, be nice and don't be mean. And uh, don't embarrass people. Yeah. So people are still reading this book, huh? Sounds like it. We just did. I don't know if it's like as a joke. I'm just saying it's hard to find these principles being practiced by a lot of people in the world. Yeah. But, you know, maybe they want to. I think it's good advice for everybody. Yeah. I'm just saying in our modern society, you don't see a lot of this stuff. It's very competitive and the antithesis of this. Yeah. The world sucks. Dale tried to save us, but he went and died like an idiot. And uh, everybody forgot what to do. Well, hey, I had some fun at least. I learned some lessons I'll probably not apply to my life, but at least I heard them. I found a lot of little tasty bits of info about someone's stinker and how to get to <laughs> my it. day-to-day, my, my the, the schedule of my stinker. Well, I could just you know I I'll have to mix things up. All right. No, I don't do that. Can't have you in the whole world knowing my routine. All right. That's enough of that. That's enough to talk about that, okay? If you want something even dirtier and grosser, why don't you go subscribe to our Patreon? Patreon.com slash Let's Stop There. We got some nasty fan fictions up if you want to go listen to some just really depraved shit. Horrible. Horrible stuff. stuff. You might like it. You might just like it as much as we did. That's Patreon.com slash Let's Stop There. You might have wrote it. That's true, too. It's written by anonymous freaks on the internet. Also, if you do listen to it, just bear in mind we don't have a complaint department. (laughs) We do. It's actually Ganesh Sarma at (laughs) Gmail. (laughs) Just yanking your chain. That's on his email address. All right. That's it. That's the whole episode. Thanks to Chris Linguist for our artwork. Morris Reese for our music. Find us at letstopthere.com. And, you know, all of our social media handles are in the notes. Uh, that's, That's everything. Oh, give us a phone call. 567-309-0357. Leave us a voicemail. Uh, oh, yeah. We'll play it on the show. How could I be so wrong? That's the complaint department. Yeah, that's the complaint department, and we'll handle it. Uh, we'll send it straight to our HR department, who is us, and we'll read it on the show and make fun of you. That's that's everything, right? Anything else? We good, you good to go? We done here? I'll take the silence as a yes, and I will say goodbye, and I love you. <laughs>